football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. The football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Hour two, Cofield and Company. Willie Ramirez here. It's Cofield. Twin Peaks. Get on down to Twin Peaks Eastern. Got the big beers under four bucks. Got 19 different shots for $3.99. I bought some alcohol last night. It okay. wasn't chilled yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Oh, boy. You ever buy boozy eggnog? No. No? A little, little eggnog with the brandy in it? No. Are you not an eggnog guy? You're not a drinker anymore. I know that. <coughs> I, wait, if You're I, a vino I, guy. Yeah. I spend big money on, on a lot of money. I mean, you don't have to show off. It's, I was just asking you in general what you drink. But. No, 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 no. I'm just saying not expensive. Like, I buy a lot of wine for the right. holidays. And then oh, okay. because that way I have them on hand. You get invited here and there. And That's you a good a idea. Bottle. And then I like to, uh, as a matter of fact, it'll be up. Usually the day after Thanksgiving, I will get um, the Beaujolais Nouveau, uh, George Dubuff's Beaujolais Nouveau. 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 And you get the. I uh, love that stuff. You get the case. And it's only good through, it only matures nicely through about Valentine's Day. So you bring, it's a nice holiday wine. Oh, really? It's the new year, the Beaujolais Nouvelle, right? So Nouveau. So you bring the wine, and then you can bring that as the gift. And then you have people over. Might, I might make a little, uh, not a friend's giving, but like a friend's, like a holiday thing for Jordan, a couple of his friends, and the, the kids that he's, you know, grown with, and so on and so forth. And I might do a couple little holiday things. So back to my boozy eggnog. I bought eggnog with screwball in it. Mm. That's peanut butter whiskey. You think that's going to work? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll shoot one for you tonight. While I'm giving stuff out. Yes. I'll be at home. Maybe I'll bet DC to make it even worse. Make myself even more miserable. Big cover night. Big dog night. Right? Peanut whiskey. I don't know. I'm going to try it. Peanut, oh, the, peanut, the peanut butter whiskey is excellent. Unless you're like an anti-sugar person, then, you know, you'd be all healthy. I'm just trying to picture it with, like, the peanut butter protein balls that I make. That's right. You did. Well, I was almost going to say something. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was just going to blurt out to you. You did brag a lot about your yeah. last year. Yeah. That's a, there, many of the different people that I get, them, especially from the other gender, they, they try to find a funny way of saying, sure. you know, got to get some of Willie's. Yeah. But, you love, you but I it. just I just made a batch. Okay. And uh, but I'm just like picturing like it would be good. Like you know you're at home, you've had a nice dinner, you grilled, you and the SO, you're sitting down for the second half, and you have a little sip of the peanut butter, and then for dessert you have a nice little. It's like having a little sweet with with the whiskey, right? Sometimes people pull out chocolates. It's the holidays. That's why I love the holidays. It's surprising with you because you're kind isn't of it, like a, weird? Like, yeah, you're kind yeah, of like a, just don't curse when you ask. What, what's your question? Willie, you're a Cowboy fan. You want to explain Mike McCarthy's madness? We have a fan asking us about Mike McCarthy. I, unfortunately, I can't answer that because I was too busy writing about Derek Carr crying. Yeah. He was he was inundated with the uh, the Raiders game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted the Cowboys to win. I know you did. Yeah. I could tell. He's had a little bit of peanut butter whiskey. He's had a lot. Yeah. That's all right. He had peanut butter whiskey and jelly. All right. He's got, and, he's got a ride share waiting outside for him. It's good. And jelly. We checked on him. Yeah. We checked on him. All right. Let's get in there. Crunch, crunch time. Uh, last hour, I wanted to play this play because I actually like this play design. I know Willie hates the uh, the junk plays, but this is right, a halfback option. And who the hell is ever going to expect 
45-year-old Tom Brady to be the receiver on the play. Throw the ball long enough, Fournette. Lead him to the end zone. Come on. Fournette. He is going to throw it to Brady. Oh, and Brady slips and he's fucked up by Tariq Woolen. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, boy. I think it was going to work. And at a minimum, if you if, even if you throw a lousy short ball, give him enough air under it so that he can stop and get run over for a pass interference. Something. It was a terrible throw. Yeah. You'd think that they would well, – I don't know. I, I don't know. Think I don't what? Know. Save it for later in the season? No, 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 no. You'd think that you would know what you just said. Like, at least – like, don't throw a jump ball yeah. for the 45-year-old yeah. quarterback. Yeah. Like, yeah. you got to lead him exactly. way out in front. You gotta, That's got to go almost to the pylon. You have to lead him either a, either forward or inward, but definitely not short. So, hey. the, so the more athletic, younger defender can just go, bloop, bloop, thank you. Cornstrich. I almost said J.J. Watt, but the better Watt, the younger Watt, T.J. Watt back. Giving my Steelers and my AFC North pick a glimmer of hope? Not really. But Steelers still have a little bit of life. They're not good without T.J. Watt. His presence alone. You know, just like we mentioned earlier this year when Denzel Perryman, when he just happened to, right, when he came back and he was on the field, I believe it was for the Broncos game. It's the presence in which makes it, you know, for that team, it's it's having your leader out there. It's having your, you know, that 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 voice. Um, I believe he had four total tackles, two and two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. Shut down the same Saints team two that gave the Raiders all sorts of trouble a couple of weeks nothing. ago. Yeah. Kamara, 26 yards rushing. Andy Dalton, two picks. Kamara, 45 yards total offense. Yeah. After the Raiders has got I don't know what the weather was like, and I don't know if that's an excuse, but I, I just think that, you know, the. hey, I'm looking at these standings, Steve, in the AFC North. It's really the halfway point for that division. You could say it's the, a trickle over, right, because 17 games. So last week was eight. Now they've all played nine. Uh, there's only three games separating the Baltimore Ravens at six and three and the Steelers at three and six. Now, call me crazy, but. This is a really wacky season, and anything is possible, especially, especially with my guy, Kenny Pickett. (laughs) Especially with Kenny Pickett. Well, no picks yesterday. 18 for 30, 199 yards. He managed the game well. He's a game manager, unlike Trubisky, who can't even manage the game. I got that one wrong. I'll admit that. You got your own team wrong. Browns now starting to look real weak. Got just whipped by the Dolphins yesterday. I didn't understand that line. I really didn't understand the backing and why. I mean, the Dolphins are playing well. Because the Dolphins' defense has looked weak. But it doesn't matter if you score 39 and then you're going against a mostly inept team because the dream is starting to die for one Jacoby Brissett. Okay, but can't carry a team. And they really didn't run the ball well. Couldn't get the ball back either. That's the other thing. The Dolphins ran the ball well. Jeff Wilson's a nice pickup. He had 100 yards. And everything they throw underneath is like freaking churning out a run game. Another big day for Waddle. Tyreek Hill 
wasn't great, but good enough. You know, low yardage with a touchdown. And Tua was incredibly accurate again and found other targets. So Miami looks good. I don't trust their defense, but in this kind of game where the other team can't score. Miami from start game. to finish from the offseason to now, I mean, they've they've done some good things. They've, yep. they've, they've made some right moves. The other McDaniel. Mm. Minus the S. He's looked brilliant. Offensive guru. Humming like that. Nine games in, Raiders not so much at two and seven. <laughs> I just keep thinking of all these excuses that we've heard all year of, you know, first year, getting to know one takes another. Takes time. Takes time. Yeah. 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 Tua yesterday, 285, three touchdowns, supposedly with from a guy with no arm. You know, kills, this is it. We're going to get him the weapons. He's going to show us if he can do it or not. Probably can't. Move on. Tyreek Hill told us. Well, he did say he was, he's incredibly accurate. And I think a lot of people went crazy thinking – Wait, more accurate than Patrick Mahomes? Well, for this game plan, for this offense, he's been perfect. He's been awesome. He is an MVP candidate, even though he missed time. He is. He's 100%. That's right. They're absolutely right. Adam and I said that last week. Adam Hill. Yes. Tua now has 2,265 yards. He missed, what, two and a half games? He's got 18 touchdowns and three interceptions in the NFL. Those are college numbers. Come on. My internet's back finally, so now I that's can, awesome. Now I can pull up that's my, awesome. Now I can pull up my Miami page because you had made a comment, and I was I wanted to look this up as far as you said. Well, their defense, their defense necessarily hasn't been bad. It's just been inconsistent. Can you kind of wondering where it's at? But here, look at listen to these numbers. I don't, I don't know if I need numbers. The previous two weeks, they gave up sixty nine points combined to the Lions and Bears, and they won. Okay, but but but. They're going to have to stop people at some point. Okay, and then they did. They stopped the Browns. Browns' okay. offense stinks. You're a very difficult person. They, they, <laughs> they stopped the Bills in week three, 21 to 19. They have, they have some good tests coming up after they play the Texans. This is a good play. They play the week. Niners, the Chargers, and the Bills. So hopefully the Bills have a healthy Josh Allen. Niners, Chargers even depleted. What about the Texans? Texans offense is they not co- good. They come out of the bye week. they got to play the Texans. It's going to be a tough game. I said after the Texans, then they start playing some good offenses. Okay. Derek Carr yesterday, if you didn't see it, you didn't hear it, he came into the locker room very emotional, uh, was just about losing it, super frustrated. Um, I love I love Josh. I love the car. I love our coaches. Um, they've had nothing but success. You know, way more success than I've ever had, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Derek, um, you know, I'm, sorry. to finish that, sorry for being emotional. Who's trying to cut him off? The guy's crying. Let him go. Who was that? What are we doing here? He wants to let it out. Let him let it out. Don't cut him off. Especially when it, he was You're answering. not there to save the guy, all right? Just cut me off. Especially when he was answering my question. Don't cut him off. I needed the whole. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it was. Uh, How uncomfortable was the room? It wasn't. It wasn't. I think, I think because, as we mentioned earlier, we were talking about it, it, that we've never really seen this. We've seen him come in and be snarky. We've seen him be somber. We've seen him be. You know, stern. We've seen him. We've seen up. him. We've be seen in inc- everything. Incredibly resilient last year. 
Like yeah. there, there were some crying moments last year. Like you come in and you got to talk about Henry Ruggs and what he did to Tina Tintor. Right. I, I, you know, that's where you you break down. Mm. I'm not minimizing losing football games because it sucks. And to your point, you said it about 45 minutes ago. This stuff can build on you. It can build on any of us. It's just, it's incredibly tough at two and seven to watch your franchise guy cry. There's a lot of fans who just cannot deal with this. There's a lot of former players who can't deal with this, Willie. Men don't cry. Listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't agree with that, but I'm just saying a lot of guys have trouble watching dudes cry. There's a lot more than what we know, obviously, going on that we don't, obviously. Because for Derek Carr to come in there and just and, and us just, just go ahead and accept that it's nine years of frustration that finally built up. Well, what triggered it, though? There's something that and, – and it, maybe it comes down to who it is exactly he's talking about when he says he wishes everyone else could appreciate what the effort that those people are putting in. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Rebels have it at the Fresno State 8-yard line. Brumfield drops back to throw. He's in traffic, and he's sacked at the 16. It'll be third down. And about 11 to go, David Perales got in. That's the first sack of Brumfield in this game. Hanging at Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football. It's Cofield and Company. Ruth Langer on the call there. You know, the uh, standard bears in the West in the Mountain West Conference, Fresno and San Diego State, and UNLV played them close, but couldn't beat either. So improvement, but man, oh, man, that was a winnable game against Fresno. Scott Bemis is a guy who used to do sports here in town with 8 News Now. He's now... An anchor for a long time now in, in Fresno, and always nice enough to join us to talk about Bulldog Sports. Scott, how you doing? Doing well, Steve. Doing well. That was a close one. Give me your read on the Fresno side. Well, um, I think they got off to kind of an interesting start in that game, right? I, I think Fresno State only had the football for three possessions in the first half of that football game, so I thought UNLV did a, a terrific job of controlling the football in that first half and keeping Jake Hayner off the field. Um, and then in the second half of that game, it just it just felt like you know Hayner and company uh, did enough you know in that game that we we saw the talent that he has with that receiving core and that offense kind of clicking um, on all cylinders and uh, you know UNLV was right there. Um, I, I'm not surprised that the Rebels gave him a good game. I mean, it seems like Fresno State uh, not really dominating anybody this year. You know, they're good enough to win games. Their offense good enough to outscore teams at times. Um, you know, maybe just uh, just a little bit more offensive talent able to get it done there on, on Friday night. Yeah, and I don't think Fresno is a great defensive team, but once the Rebels started to approach near the red zone, like, you know, that zone, whatever, 35 down to, like, the 22, that's when the Bulldogs nutted up. And, you know, Daniel Gutierrez, the kicker for UNLV, is the Mountain West Conference special teamer of the week. But, you know, that, that's a good thing and a bad thing. That means you were real close and, you know, you kicked five field goals. So I, I was impressed by... Fresno played defense when they needed to kind of bent, but never really got broken. Yeah, and I think they've been doing a lot of that um, this year. Actually, at, at Coach Tedford's press conference today, he mentioned that exact thing, that in, in the red zone uh, defensively, they've been, they've been playing really well. And I, I think, you know, we've all talked about Jake Hayner coming back. 
on offense, and you know the difference that that makes, obviously. But um, I mean, Fresno State's best defensive player, Evan Williams, and, and one of the best defensive players in the conference, um, also came back, you know, a few weeks ago, and, and you saw the impact that he had in that UNLV game. And uh, um, you know, Fresno State, I agree with you. I don't think overall, especially with all the injuries they've had this year, I mean, they've just you know been been <laughs> ravaged by injuries on a week to week basis. Um, they don't have a great defense by any means, but they do have some great individual players. You know, David Perales, um, you know, is a difference maker on the defensive line. You know, can create negative plays with the sack. And then Evan Williams back there at safety can clean up a lot of mistakes for Fresno State. And they do have some athletes, you know, in the secondary who can make some plays um, at times. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it, Steve. Um, I think with that Fresno State offense, they can, break, uh, they can bend, but if they don't break, you know, the Bulldogs are going to have a good chance to win. Well, then the other great thing is Tedford's ballsy, and he knows what he has in Hainer. So, like, fourth-down situations, even a, a situation where they, you know, lined up for a punt, they're like, yeah, we're going to go for it. He has no fear going for it on fourth down. Yeah, you know, which is kind of interesting because earlier this year, uh, he hasn't always been super really? aggressive on, on fourth down. In fact, there were a couple times where I think it – it might have cost him, uh, you know, in the Oregon State game earlier this year, uh, you know, a game that, that the Dogs really had won, you know, in the fourth quarter, uh, or at least were in control of. Um, you know, there was a fourth and five situation late in that game with the Dogs up by, I believe it was five at the time, I want to say, uh, where they settled for a 50-plus yard field goal, you know, in Oregon State territory, which I thought at the time might have been a situation to be aggressive, try to win the game with your offense. Um, but, you know, I think maybe – it's kind of a little bit of the evolution uh, of Coach Shepard as well. And I think, I think uh, Coach Shepard had a lot of respect for UNLV heading into that game. I think he realized that the Rebels were going to you know, bring, uh, you know, bring a good battle uh, to the table in that game. So he might have to uh, you know, go to the back of tricks a little bit. Speaking of Scott Bemis, covers Fresno State in the Fresno area. So, Scott, let me ask you this because UNLV obviously now riding a – extended losing streak, needs two wins to become bowl eligible. But the level of competition at times has gone up for them, and possibly they learn from that to be able to go into the final two and win, Hawaii and uh, Nevada. We saw the same thing sort of with Fresno early on. A lot of people were writing them off after a 1-4 and four start, but three straight road games, USC going to Connecticut, which was really no chore, easy chore. Jim Mora taking that program over, then going to Boise State. But it seems as if that sort of tested them. It got them battle-tested for the Mountain West run it's been on. Can the same thing happen for the Rebels? You know, you guys are obviously a lot closer to the UNLV situation than me. But from walking from a distance, it does feel like UNLV is, I, I don't know, how would I describe it, taking baby steps kind of in, in, in the right direction. I mean, I saw the start that they got off to this year, and uh, – you know, they were also very competitive in that game at Cal um, as well. And I think with Brumfield back, um, you know, and still having something to play for, because correct me if I'm wrong, they, they do need two wins, right, to become yeah, right. eligible. Two more wins. Two more wins. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, I think with that carrot kind of hanging out there, yeah, I expect good performances, you know, from the Rebels in those final two games. Because, as we all know, you know, having spent some time in Vegas there and knowing the history of that UNLV football program, you know, even a – Six and six campaign, you know, where they're bowl eligible. I mean, that's 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 a win, right? You know, for the UNLV football program. Now, you hope to build on that. You hope that they're, you know, maybe the expectations go up a little bit here with the, you know, the the facility improvements and with them playing at Allegiant Stadium now and all that. 
you know, you hope that that expectation will go up, but you got to start somewhere, right? And if they can win those last two games, which I think they can, I mean, let's be honest. You know, Steve, you mentioned it. The last two weeks, you know, they 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 have a chance to win that game at San Diego State. And having seen the Aztecs firsthand in Fresno when they really should have beaten the Bulldogs, I mean, they had Fresno State completely on the ropes in that game, and it took a miracle for the Dogs to win that game. You know, UNLV had a very realistic chance of beating San Diego State, and then they had a very realistic chance of beating Fresno State. And I, I would argue probably the two best teams in the West Division right now. So, yes, I think they can win their last two games, and I think – you know, getting bowl eligible, I think that's a great start for Marcus Arroyo and that no program. No doubt. If uh, most of us had, had picked around five and seven, hoping for six and six, it's just the way the season has gone. You got to close out with some wins here to get to uh, six and six. And they've they've lost three close games in Fresno and San Diego State, and also Cal. And then we watched San Diego State take on uh, San Jose State over the weekend and hung forty three on them, and you know had like four hundred and fifty yards total offense. So. UNLV has a pretty good defense. Um, before we get you out of here, and Scott Bemis is with us. He used to be in town with Channel 8. Now he's been in Fresno long time, calling games, local sports anchor. The basketball team in the Mountain West was actually chosen ahead of the running Rebels, a couple of spots ahead. And I know they retooled with some big guys, some transfers in. They have a bevy of returning guards. Uh, how have they looked so far? Because I know they, they won game number one against Fresno Pacific, but then fell against UCSB, which isn't, a terrible loss because they're expected to do really well in their conference. Yeah, I would agree. And it was, was the Rebels were picked six, right? The running reps in, uh, in the any, we, anywhere from six to ninth. So I've seen a, a couple of places okay. where Fresno was ahead of them. More, more by the analytics guys had Fresno ahead gotcha. of UNLV. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I think the analytics guys do like uh, Fresno State heading into this season. I think there's some, I don't know, there's some some question marks there. Obviously, now here's here's the good news. With Fresno State, I mean, you've got a experienced core returning on the perimeter, right? You've got, I think, five of their top six scores from last year coming back, but you're talking about a, a group of five there that really struggled to score <laughs> at times. I was going to say they're, they're missing the the problem is the other guy was the one who averaged twenty points a game in Orlando Robinson. It, it, exactly. I mean, you're missing a guy who just signed a two way contract, right, with, with uh, the Miami Heat, the NBA. Um, now, sometimes when you know you're not working your offense through that, you know, that big man you know, or that, that focal point like Orlando was last year, sometimes you see some other guys emerge that maybe you didn't realize they had, you know, that kind of an offensive game. But I think it's still a little too early to tell whether that will happen or not. Basically, I think Fresno State is probably a team that's going to finish in the middle of the pack in the Mountain West unless they have, you know, one or two of those perimeter, experienced perimeter guys, a Isaiah Hill, you know, at point guard. Um, or an Anthony Holland, who's known more as a uh, you know a grinder, a defensive stopper, but has shown an ability to shoot a, shoot the three point shot. And you know if he can expand his offensive game a little bit more, you know one thing that that we were all looking forward to here in Fresno was was the uh, to see what you know the freshman of the year, the preseason freshman of the year in the Mountain West. He was voted that way. Uh, a kid named Joseph Hunter, JoJo Hunter, out of out of Fresno, out of San Joaquin Memorial, right here in Fresno, the same high school that produced Jalen Green. Um, we were. Looking forward to seeing what he could do, you know, Fresno State, because he's a four-star guy, and that was probably the biggest recruit that, that Justin Hudson had gotten uh, until this point, you know, to, to come to Fresno State. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, not sure about the health uh, of JoJo at this point. Uh, he's been nursing a sprained thumb, and there was some talk from Hudson about maybe considering surgery. So I don't expect to see him anytime soon, maybe in the back half of the season, um, possibly. But uh, so that's a big blow to this team. But I think it's the, they have an experienced core on the perimeter, but they're going to need to have a couple guys step up offensively if they want to get into that top third of the conference. 
And honestly, Steve, I just don't know if they're capable of that offensively. They're going to be a great defensive team. Justin Hudson has built his reputation on defense. That's going to happen once again, but they just need to find somebody who can score the basketball consistently, and especially late in games, if they're going to win some of those tough, tight Mountain West battles. i got about a minute left, Scott Pemis. I had a question for you on this front. If Bulldog basketball fans were angry that they've kind of been in the middle of the conference, it'd be interesting. I'm sure Justin Hudson might fire back and say, well, why don't you do your part and actually show up to the games? Um, there were there were like eight or 9,000 people from Fresno, I assume they're from Fresno, who came to town for the football game here at Allegiant. Eight or 9,000, they don't get eight or 900 local fans to go to the basketball games. Why is there such a split in attendance? You know, and the ironic thing is, and I'll try to keep this quick, is that it's just kind of become apathetic here. Like, it's just kind of like out of sight, out of mind. I don't know any other way to put it, but it's just, it, it, I think people if would come, and they would come maybe eight or 10,000 if they had a consistent winner that built over a couple years, because this town does have a history of getting behind their basketball program to the same level, if not more, than the football program in the Tark days. In the, in the Boyd Grant days in, in the 1980s, uh, for some reason, it's just kind of slipped out of the consciousness of people over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. I think ever since the sanctions after from t- the Tark era and then, you know, maybe for a few years after that, it just, you know, they haven't had enough success there to grab, to grab the attention of the people. Um, if they are somehow able, you know, to put a couple seasons back-to-back, this town, I think, would rally around them, but it would take some time. And that's the hard part is that you're going to have to consistently win, and it's hard to recruit to Fresno State right now because that atmosphere that you're talking about yeah. is rough. I mean, you bring a recruit into the Seymour Center, there might be a 1,000 total people in there for a conference game sometimes. Scott, you're awesome, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate there it. Is. Thanks, Louis. There, there he is, Scott Bemis, who uh, was with 8 News Now for years, and now he's been back in Fresno for even longer. Give us a couple minutes on the uh, Fresno sports team. It's Monday Night Football at Twin Peaks Henderson with Cofield and Company. Great prizes plus food and drink specials Monday starting at 2 p.m. at Twin Peaks in Henderson. Josh Levo looking for his first goal as a blue. Now it's behind. Another try. They score! Levo from the right circle fed it off to the captain O'Reilly. He jams it home from below the right circle. 3-2 St. Louis. Two quick strikes for the Blues. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. We'll get to a little VGK in the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to talk some XFL, some NFL with Doug Whaley, Mm -hmm. who's a uh, senior VP of personnel, player personnel in the new XFL. They're doing their draft this week. We've got a team here. In Vegas, coached by Rod Woodson. So we'll talk a little football with Whaley coming up here in less than 10. One last thing on what we were talking about at the end of the convo there with Scott Bemis, one of the sports guys in Fresno. So Fresno comes in. Bulldogs take out the Rebels, 37-30. Another close loss for UNLV. Man, they traveled a lot. That was a good crowd. There were upwards of like eight, 9,000 at Allegiant. Probably the biggest crowd we've seen. Air Force brought a good contingent. And then Iowa State last year brought a monstrous group. And I was saying to Scott, why is the football program supported so well? And the basketball program, which frankly has a nicer facility. It's a lot newer facility. The Bulldog Stadium is 
it's fine. You know, it's a little older, kind of, you know, one of those old school dug-in stadiums with mostly bench seating. Their basketball arena is a nice arena. Holds like 15,000. I've never been there when there's been more than 1,000 people there. Like it is, it's not San Jose State where there's like 100 people. No one goes to Fresno State basketball games. I don't get it. It's so weird. And they've been, but I guess, you know what, it, it goes back to what we say all the time about the West Coast, minus like Gonzaga for basketball. But it makes it easy for Gonzaga. If you don't freaking win in the Pacific time zone, people are not going to go to the games. That's it. There aren't many outliers. You don't win, they don't go. You think it's just the Pacific time zone? Uh, yeah, well, I think there's... I was going to say the, non-powerful. The, the rest of the country... Uh, I mean, no one goes to Pac-12 basketball games. UCLA gets a decent crowd. Pauly's beautiful. They redid it. USC doesn't draw anyone. Arizona draws. Arizona State attendance for basketball is not great. Stanford, Cal stink. Washington's never been good. And most of the Mountain West, I mean, San Diego State draws. But they're really good. If you are if you are a 15-18 to 18 win program, people will not go out to your games. Do you know what? So we know San Diego State was number one last year. I'm looking at overall Mountain West average attendance. What was two? CSU? Three is New Mexico? Nope. Who else? Nope. 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 Number two was Utah State, 7,153. That's not very high. Number three, or I'm sorry, I apologize. Number two is New Mexico, then Utah State. Number four, Boise State. Which is funny because I think Boise lies about their crowds. I've never been at Boise when there's been more than 6,000 there. What's their average attendance? It says last year it was sixty nine seventy seven. Okay. Maybe it's UNLV is not a drawing card anymore. Uh, after Boise, it looks like it is Nevada, fifty five hundred, and then UNLV forty nine eighty five. Yep. Average attendance for UNLV forty nine eighty five. Going back to two thousand thirteen, they were sitting at about fifteen two a game. So you can see how much things have changed with a program that you know isn't contending maybe they can this year isn't contending for an ncaa spot isn't winning 20 games the attendance is way down and it is the story around much of the mountain west conference follow the guys on twitter at steve cofield and at willie g ramirez or tweet the show at cofield and co live inside twin peaks for monday night football it's cofield and company Rolling on here on a Monday. Let's talk a little XFL. I actually saw a couple guys, more than a few guys, in the uh, UNLV-Fresno State game this weekend. Maybe Daniel Gutierrez, a kicker for the Rebels. The uh, quarterback, Jake Hainer, NFL prospect, but maybe a a tweener. He could be in the XFL. Doug Whaley is going to be leading the charge on the players as he's the uh, senior VP of player personnel with the XFL. And he joins Steve and Willie here in Vegas. How are you, sir? Fellas, we're doing great. Excited to be here in Vegas uh, and ready to get uh, this draft started so we can have some players for each of our teams and uh, get this thing headed in the right direction for camp starting in January. There you go, right? The key is uh, getting the players in. So talk about the players that are going to be in this league, who's eligible, how do you put this whole thing together? So give you a real broad stroke, 30,000-foot view. Uh, we are going after players and guys that stocked our draft pool come from the sources of we had about four or five player showcases strategically placed throughout the, uh, the country. Um, we went to NFL training camps, so those guys, 75 through 90, you had the 
Uh, obviously, active roster in the 12 practice squad. So that's 75th player through 90. Those are the guys we're looking at. And anybody from other leagues that are not under contract. And the way we look at it is, for whatever reason, there's guys out there, there's circumstances why they haven't been able to achieve that ultimate goal, and that's playing in the National Football League. Well, guess what? We're here to give them an avenue to show for those circumstances how they can improve and demonstrate the, the skill level they have to make that jump. So in the end, I like to say we're either going to be a springboard or a soft landing. We springboard players to ultimately achieve the goal of the NFL or give them a soft landing of still being able to live out their dream of playing professional football, but to be able to do that and then transition to their next part of life if they play for us three, four years down the road. And there's a specific process that takes place with this draft in terms of skill position. Start off with, can you explain the quarterback selection process for each team? Well, we know that football is a quarterback-driven league, and it's the hardest position to play in sports. So what we decided for us and our league to come out with strong quarterback play is to have every team with the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the director of player personnel evaluate all quarterbacks that are free now and to give us a list of their top three so every team gave us a list of their top three and there was very few ties i think there was two ties so what we did is we decided to take those that that list and with the guys they want and really assign them to that team so those coaches could start talking to those players talking about scheme giving them playbooks so they can start to get up to speed. So when they first get to camp in January, it's not the first time they've talked to the coach or even seen the playbook. But that is, in our opinion, going to help us come out of the gate playing strong football. Will there be a supplemental draft closer to the start of the season? Yes, we were going to have a supplemental draft. So we're going to really focus this, this draft on guys that are not under contract. Our supplemental draft will be in the beginning of January for guys that their contracts expire from other leagues and then also guys that uh, have a choice between signing a reserve future in the NFL or saying, well, I could sign a reserve future and be on a team or I can come to the XFL and play and demonstrate my skill set to 31 other teams. So we'll have other ways to ingest players because the one thing we don't want to do is not be able to bring in the best players that are possible to help our league play football at the highest level. It's Cofield and Company talking XFL. Doug Whaley's with the league as a senior VP of player personnel, former GM of the Bills. For you, why the XFL? i tell you this much. It's very exciting because, don't get me wrong, the NFL is one of the best professional sports leagues in the world. But there's there are things that are in the NFL that, could be improved or evolved, is what I said. So for a chance to be able to start a professional football league from the ground up and be able to add those things or change those things or introduce certain things that we think will make the game more intriguing to our clients and our customers, but more importantly, help the football ecosystem as a whole. What we want to do is we want to be a part of promoting this game and if we find our niche, then that niche is helping guys live out their dream of being a professional football player and then maybe even, like I said, springboarding into NFL, then why not? Because then that helps the game all together. And that's what we want to be, stewards of the game. 
Yeah, the NFL definitely needs it, and players need it. They need somewhere to play if they can't you know, make the rosters in the NFL and, and hone their skills if they're not ready for it. Uh, for you, when you looked at the XFL, why do you believe, hey, this is going to work this time? Because we, we've dealt with so many, and we've dealt with it in Vegas, right? We've dealt with so many leagues that have tried to be that next league, you know, just under the NFL. We had the Locos here, right? They won championships, United Football League. It was a fun team. You know, Jim Fossil, rest in peace, uh, was running the team. Uh, why is this one going to work? I mean, I like the fact that, first of all, the Rock's involved. Why is it going to work? Well, I'll tell you this much. From the last XFL we were involved in, the appetite is there. I mean, when we had put our KPIs out there from the last go-round, and unfortunately it got shut down by the, by the pandemic, we were hoping to average around 7,500, 8,000 per game. We were at 10,000 per game. Eyeballs, we were hoping to get a, a TV viewership around 750,000. We were at 900,000. So the, 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 the appetite for this is there from the public point. There's a, a glut of players out there that we know can stock this, this league and help us play at a high level. But finally, you touched on it, ownership. Between Dwayne Rock Johnson, everything he touches with his business partner, Danny Garcia, the first chairwoman of a league, in their, in their production company, everything they touch turns to gold. And then you also add in Redbird Capital, which is a very influential private equity and uh, sports investment firm that has tentacles all across sports from European soccer all the way to NHL. So when you combine all those factors, we're very excited that we're going to be here for a long, long time and be very influential in helping this football ecosystem keep gaining momentum. Doug Welly's with us. TV partnerships are, are, are gigantic as well. You have to have a good TV partner. No doubt about it. And that's why we're very happy to be with ESPN and that their family of uh, media outlets that uh, will be covering our games. And they're the king of sports. And as I say, that's the old saying, it's good to be the king. And we're excited to have our relationship minute with them and just have them grow with us and our league. So I want to go back a few years when you were working for the Bills. You must be pretty proud of it, you know, at least being on the ground floor of now what they've built here. It's turned into a, a hell of an organization, and you certainly had a part in that. Yeah, yeah it's very exciting because uh, when I, the last thing we did when we were there, and myself and the people that were in my, my team, was we set up the coaching interview process that yielded Sean McDermott. But more importantly, in 2017, we had this, we had done future work on the quarterback draft class. And when we were there in Buffalo, we had a solid team. We just didn't have a quarterback. And when you don't have a quarterback, your margin for error is very slim. So you need 21 players playing at 100% capacity to have a chance. If you have a quarterback, you just need one per- person playing at 75% capacity to have a chance. So what we did, we looked at the 2018 draft, and we saw there was going to be multiple choices of quarterbacks that you could choose from. And that's why in 2017 we decided, after hindsight, Sean McDermott moved down in the draft, get up a, a pick up a, another first round pick in 2018. You have two, two first round picks to be able to have flexibility to go get the quarterback that you think is going to take your franchise to the next level. They actually made a, the, one of the best choices in that quarterback class, but so we do feel proud that we helped lay that foundation. You ever think back and say, like 2015, that Vegas would have an NFL team? <laughs> I would not have thought that, but when you really think about it, and, and, and the way I look at it, when you think about it in the macro 
and the financial realm of it, there's no reason not to. Because I was talking today, especially teams, and when you get their schedule, everybody's looking at, oh, what what away game am I going to? Oh, I'm going to go to Vegas. Because guess yeah. what? There's a direct, and it's Vegas. So the, the, the attendance should never be a problem here. No. Uh, I think the, the concern from the Raiders sometimes, the players, is there's too much attendance from the other team. But, hey, that's what we signed up for. We knew that was going to be the deal. Uh, we definitely want you on again, you know, once we find out more about the players and the quarterbacks. But we appreciate a couple minutes today. Thank you so much. Fellas, appreciate it. And uh, anytime you need us, we'll be here for you. Take care. There he is, Doug Whaley, former GM of the Buffalo Bills, now working in personnel. Uh, big question for the Vipers is going to be, where are they going to play? Because it didn't work out with Allegiant. I know the stadium is all for us. But apparently they couldn't come to financial terms to use the stadium. Sam Boyd ain't an option. No. So now what? Well, there's talk of Cashman Field. I personally think the most ideal landing spot, realistically, is Gorman. From a business standpoint, it is small, though. I mean, he just mentioned the hope would be that you're going to be drawing in excess of 10000 You'd hope. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. You know? Um, it, it, it's the fear of the unknown, right? Like, are they going to draw that? So do we need enough seats? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the uh, – it's so it's so up in the air right now, you, and there's no concrete. And I don't know if they really want to transform Cashman Field. I think that's a spot that they're going to have to resort to, a last resort. Um, so yeah, it, it's question mark remains because you you got to you got to find a, you got to find a home. And if Sam Boyd's out, and, and your spots are limited at that point, so you like the chances of this league to do well here. Uh, I do simply because, honestly, because the most successful team so far that's of is has been, which is now considered a major pro sports, but was the WNBA. So I mean, realistically, there's going to be football fans that. They're like, hey, you know, this was fun. That was fun. Let's let's hear it, you know, because I, I don't know how, mu- how quote-unquote, minor it's going to be. There's going to be some hard-hitting. They're going to have some entertainment to it. You know, just the rock involvement, the XFL, it's got that bite. I know when the XFL was here first, I, I was a season ticket holder. I took, I took my son. We went all the time. He And he had a whole outfit with the with the bandana and the whole thing. There were some UNLV guys on there. We'd go down on the field. Some of the cheerleaders knew him. So, I mean, it was like a, taking pictures. And back then, you were having to get pictures printed. You got Christmas lights on your phone. You're festive. Well, you're very easily distracted. <laughs> well, I just it stood out because we were talking decorations earlier. But yeah, so I think that the it's the allure of XFL, and I think it'll be a hit. Now that said, they're going to need to win in this town. Yeah. They're going to need to win. No debate. No, there's we no just debate. talked about it earlier. Yeah, with uh, college sports, you don't win, you're not going to draw. Uh, that's just the way Vegas is, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. If people are going to spend their hard-earned money, you got to win. You got to play at a high level. Come on down to Twin Peaks. Monday Night Football is on the way. You don't have to spend a lot of that hard-earned money here because the prices are very inexpensive. Happy hour is going down right now. Two, four, and six bucks on select appetizers. I like the little chicken bites, little hot sauce on those, mm. big beers. Mm. Under four bucks. Specials running all the time, including 19 different shots. 
for three ninety nine. We get to our four o'clock hour, the big four at four. More Raiders coming up in the four o'clock hour.